This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au So in all of these, I've listed 11 of them there and you'll probably see that those categories are fairly close to what we've got listed here on the board. A number of those things are there already. And I think all of us will instantly recognise that some of these we find ourselves strong on and some of these we find ourselves weak on. Um, And the purpose of this workshop is to actually help us grow and get better at that. So you might think, well, I've got, I, I actually know what the gospel is. I'm, I've got no problems in my understanding of the gospel. Um, but what I actually have an issue with is fear of man. And so you might know the truth, but the truth never gets communicated because you're afraid of what people might think of you. Or perhaps you have no fear of man whatsoever. You are like a bull at a gate, but when you share the gospel, you've got no idea what you're saying. And who knows if it's even close to the truth of what the gospel message that Jesus has for us. And so all of us will have different strengths and weaknesses on these 11 lists, uh, on these 11 things that I've listed on your sheet there. Um, And my guess is that there are a number of those things that personally we all will find convicting and challenging and need to grow in. And so I hope at the end of this you'll at least take one of those things away and think, yes, this is what I would like to work on. This is how I want God to change me. This is how I'm I'm hoping the Spirit will shape and form me. And so um, in the next half an hour, I'm going to try and skim through these. We're going to go quickly um, and then I'm going to stop for questions and give you time to chat in your group. So the first one there is, we don't know what the gospel is. When I first started leading youth ministry, we would have prospective youth leaders fill in a little survey, a little application questionnaire, um, and then we would interview them before they would come on the youth leadership team. The very first question on the questionnaire was, what is the gospel? And I lost count of the amount of times that I would open someone's application and be dumbfounded that they couldn't answer the first question. Six years in our youth ministry, I was like, what are we doing? You know, things like, what is the gospel? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm, Kind of, yes, they are the gospels, and we find some of the answers in there. But that's a really crucial question. What is the gospel? The solution to a lack of knowledge or a lack of training or a lack of understanding of what mission is about is gospel clarity. We, we need to know what the gospel is. And so there are a number of really um, key explanations of the gospel in the Bible. But one, one of my favorites is the beginning of Romans chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, go to Romans chapter 1. So you see a very succinct explanation of what the gospel is there in Romans chapter 1. And it really centers on the person and work of Jesus. And so if we're going to be sharing the gospel and we want to make sure we're getting that right, central to that communication of a message is the person and work of Jesus. So, you know, Paul shares here the good news promised beforehand concerning his son, concerning Jesus. All right, declared to be the Son of God in the power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so if we're going to be communicating the gospel, if if we lack clarity, we need to ensure that we have done some of this, some training, to make sure we understand what the gospel message is. And my, my guess is that most of you in this room are fairly comfortable 
on understanding what the message of the gospel is. Um, or perhaps you've been taught uh, um, some, some kind of a framework of explaining the gospel. Um, but the gospel really needs to centre on a number of key things. gospel needs to centre on sin, and it needs to centre on the solution to the problem of sin, which is Jesus. And at the heart of that solution is the cross. I remember um, talking to Tasha's uncle, um, who attends a, a very large church in the west of Sydney, and uh, they used to do a lot of street evangelism. They would walk up to, the, to people in Penrith and just engage them and start talking to them about Jesus. And um, their framework of what they were supposed to tell people is, number one, uh, God loves you. Number two, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Um, number three, I think it was come to church. Um, and so there's some truth in there. But what he became convinced of was that he actually needed to tell people more than simply God loved them and have, have a wonderful plan for their life. He needed to bring them to the end of themselves, help them see their sin and help them see that Jesus is the solution to that. And so he started uh, explaining this new framework of the gospel that he had heard. And uh, the leaders said to him, if you could just not talk about sin when you talk to these people on the street about Jesus, just stick to the God loves you and has got a wonderful plan for your life. We think that would be much better. Certain explanations of the gospel simply are inadequate. We need more than just aspects, little nuggets of the gospel. If we're going to be clear on what this message is, we need to have gospel clarity. We need to explain it. Number two. We don't know who we are. Gospel identity. And this kind of links back to what um, Mao was talking about this morning, is that um, if we don't understand who we are as God's people, what flows out of that uh, is something very different. So let's go to uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 11, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 20. So what you see in those two verses there is a connection between identity and purpose. And so Peter tells the scattered churches, this is who you are, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possessions, identity statement, and then he connects a purpose statement to it. So that, with this purpose in mind, you might declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Peter, our Paul, does the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we have been reconciled, and then we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. He connects purpose with identity. And so we always say this anchor, our, our activity, our identity always precedes our activity. What we do flows out of who we are. And that is crucial because if we don't do that, then we're, we're in here doing, these, uh, doing mission for the wrong reasons. Where was that one? I'm doing this out of a sense of duty. People are a project. I'm actually engaged in mission not so much because I'm loving people, but because I'm trying to shape my identity and earn God's approval. And so if we have uh, a, a lack of identity, if we don't understand who we are as God's people, a lot of things on here get messed up. And so we don't actually know what mission is. Mission becomes a task. Mission becomes a tick box. Mission becomes a duty. Uh, but when we understand that we have been reconciled by God, I mean, that changes everything, right? That, uh, that in and of itself ought to mean that we would want other people to experience what we've just experienced. But we've been given a new activity in connection with this new identity. We are reconcilers. 
we're God's special chosen possession for the purpose that we would declare his praises. And so we need to engage in mission knowing who we truly are as God's people. Children loved by the Father. Do you think of the passage that Mal, Mal uh, looked at this morning? Before Jesus ever preached a sermon, before he ever healed anyone, the Father says, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And then out of that sense of identity, Jesus enters into his mission. We know that that's about identity because as you flick between Matthew 3 and 4, what happens next after Jesus' baptism? Who comes? The enemy. And what does he begin to do? He begins to question Jesus' identity. He says, if you really are the Son of God, then turn these rocks into bread. If you really are the Son of God, right, he begins to test and call into question Christ's identity as a beloved Son. And so it's out of Christ's identity as God's loved, chosen, precious child that Jesus engages in mission, and that's no less true for us as God's people. And so... Knowing who we are is crucial. So gospel clarity is important if we don't know what the gospel is. Gospel identity is crucial if we don't know who we are. And thirdly, gospel conviction is the answer to the, the third one. The gospel hasn't gripped us. Problem number three is the gospel hasn't personally gripped us. The solution there is gospel conviction or gospel awakening. And so let's go to um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. So the way in to the Christian faith is the way on in the Christian faith. We never graduate from the gospel. And so that means that we need to appropriate the good news of the gospel every single day in our lives. That means that you need the gospel just as much as your unsaved work colleague, your neighbor, your family member who doesn't know Jesus and you need it as much today as you did the first day you came to faith as they need it. And so gospel awakening or gospel conviction has kind of two trajectories to it. There is an internal one, that is that I need the good news of the gospel. And if, if I'm not engaged in mission out of that reality, then it quickly becomes a task of pride that I'm engaged in this because... Actually, these heathens out here need Jesus, right? But when I engage in an understanding that I need the gospel today, that becomes a task of humility. That, that in fact, I'm not standing here self-righteous or superior to anyone. I'm standing here a sinful person, a broken person, telling broken people about how to get fixed, including me. And so there's an internal aspect to gospel conviction, but there's also an external aspect, and that is that the people out there need Jesus. Right? And we might be, yeah, of course I need Jesus, um, but there is a sense of maybe God doesn't need me or uh, the culture doesn't quite need this story. And so we, we perceive a lack of need out there in the culture. Uh, we, we really just don't think that the world needs to hear about the good news. Um, and so gospel conviction has both an inward conviction and an outward conviction. I need Jesus. This world needs Jesus. This world needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. And so the solution to the problem, uh, I'm lazy or there's no need, or the gospel hasn't quite gripped my heart, is gospel conviction, gospel awakening. 
Alright, we're going to do one more and then I'm going to get you guys to split up into small groups and chat about the first four. Number The fourth mission block or the fourth problem is that we don't believe the gospel is powerful. I think we had this, up, this one up here. Um, perhaps, can God really save people? I mean, the soil in Sydney is pretty hard. Can we really expect that people would come to faith? If I share the good news of Jesus, is anything going to happen? Gospel pessimism, perhaps. Uh, the solution there is gospel confidence. I remember um, a number of years ago applying for a job with Dakin Photocopiers. I had no idea about the photocopy industry before I applied for the job. But I applied for the job and it was honestly the best job interview I've ever had. You know, you like just feel really known. The interviewer really understood me. It wasn't an 18 year old girl from a call center interviewing me. Like, so what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? You know, like this guy was like a psychologist. He, he understood me. And uh, I remember getting to the end of the interview and him saying to me, uh, do you have any questions for me? And I said, yeah, can you tell me a little bit about Dakin photocopiers? Like, what's the quality like? Where's it made? Where do you guys rank in the, you know, like, when it comes to, like, televisions, like, clearly Sony is the best and Hisense is some cheap ripoff. Like, where are you guys in the pecking order of photocopiers? And he answered my questions. He got the answer to me and he said to me, you can't sell something you don't believe in, do you? And I was like, whoa, this guy knows me. I like, I can't. I can't stand before people and say, here is a brilliant photocopy that's going to change your life when it's actually a piece of junk that's going to fall apart and has inbuilt obsolescence in it, left, right and centre, and we're just here to rake you of your money. You ca I can't sell a product that I have no confidence in. And likewise, you will never share the good news of Jesus if you have no confidence in the transforming power of the gospel. If you don't believe that it's good for people, if you don't believe that it can change someone's life, if you don't believe that they need to hear it, you'll never share it. And so the solution to obstacle number four, I don't believe it's powerful, is to have gospel confidence, to have a deep abiding confidence in the transforming power of the gospel. That I believe that as I speak this good news, that the Spirit of God can take a dead heart and awaken it to his glory. If we don't believe that reality is true, we will never engage in mission. And so the solution there is to have a deep, abiding confidence in the gospel. You think about what um, Paul says in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. The good news. That's what changes people's lives. You think about Paul as he enters the city of Ephesus in Acts 19 and preaches the good news there. The same good news message that you know if you've got gospel clarity. And that good news message literally turns a city upside down. It affects the city's economy. And there is a riot because people have stopped worshipping and purchasing these shrines from Artemis. We have to believe that the gospel has the power to transform. In the same way that it transformed Ephesus in the first century, it can transform our cities today. And so the solution to a lack of... Um, belief that the gospel is powerful is gospel confidence. So there are the first four. We don't know what it is, gospel clarity. We don't know who we are, gospel identity. The gospel hasn't gripped us, gospel conviction. We don't believe it's powerful, gospel confidence. So 
as per usual, I've got too much to say and not enough time to say it, so um, we're not going to walk through the rest of them slowly. I actually just want to spend some time focusing on number six, because I feel like that's a really significant one for us. So uh, the, the obstacle is fear. Where is it? There's number six up here. I'm afraid. I fear rejection. I fear opposition. Or perhaps there's you know, some sense of a uh, broken relationship there, or I fear the consequences of a broken relationship. I, I think that's a really significant barrier to mission. And it seems to me uh, that one is only going to increase the more our culture views our message as insidiously hateful. Um, and so uh, I just want you to take a, a journey with Peter, the apostle, as he hears of Jesus' um, mission to go and die on the cross, what does Peter say? Lord, never. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. And then a few verses later, Peter says, let us go with him that we may also die. <laughs> right? All right, come on. We're going to go to Jerusalem. Yes, they're going to get him. We're all going to die. Let's do it. And then... When they get there, Peter, in a moment of bravery, slices off one of the, uh, the high priest's servants' ears. Um, but when faced with what? A young servant girl in the midst of a very hostile context with no sword, Peter denies Jesus three times. Um, and so even the best of them, even the great apostle Peter, is gripped by fear of man in his heart and ends up denying his saviour. And the worst part about it is that if you, I think it's in Matthew's Gospel, there's this exchange when Peter does that the third time, he looks across and he catches Jesus' eye. It's how crushing that would be, right? You just denied your saviour in his presence and he made eye contact. It happens to the best. But fear of man is a really significant reason why we don't share the good news of Jesus. We're afraid of rejection. Um, now, it, it's um, been my own personal self-confession to you guys that conflict-avoiding tendencies is something that I struggle with. I hate conflict. But what um, God showed me really significantly last year was that those conflict-avoiding tendencies, actually, there's a sin beneath that sin. And that sin just so happens to be a fear of people, a fear of man. Um, and I remember talking to a counsellor as we were wor working through some of that stuff. The counsellor said to me, if you deal with this, this will be revival for you. And I thought, come on, give me a I know what revival is, <laughs> right? But as I worked through the process and as I saw that sin beneath conflict-avoiding tendency was actually fear of man, I began to see how this actually could be revival. And not just for me, but for our whole church. Because this issue is probably the single most important issue that stops us from sharing the good news, is that we're afraid of what people would think. And the reason that we're afraid of what people will think is that people are actually the idols in our lives. Other people in our lives are actually the people that either build us up or completely destroy us. Their opinions of us matter far more than what they ought. And so we've made people our idols and then that means that we fear their opinions and their rejection of us so much. 
So if another person would reject us, our idol, our God ends up rejecting us and it completely crushes us. We're too afraid to speak the truth because we're so worried about what other people would say. We're so worried about the potential consequences of the relationship. We're so worried about rejection. We're so worried about our reputation, our pride. We're so worried about being accepted and liked. Uh, and that's as true as it is for the church. And so as I preached on Matthew 5 last week and what it looks like to be a distinct and holy people, the church in its missional endeavours to reach culture has become obsessed with relevance. And so we so want to be accepted as cool and normal and not weird and awkward that we've begun to lose some of our holy distinctiveness. So that's true of a, at a macro level of the church as a whole. It's also true of our individual hearts, that we're so obsessed with being accepted and liked and seen as relevant and not weird, dorky Christians, that we're so afraid to say something that might offend someone. Add to that, the message that we speak today is highly offensive. We have a message that says, you're a sinner. You've offended God by your actions. And we have a message that is so countercultural that what our world celebrates, God says, actually is offensive and is worthy of his judgment. And so we're at odds with our culture. And if we fear what people think, if we're so afraid, if we cannot possibly bear to be seen of as irrelevant, we end up closing our mouths and not doing what God calls us to do. And so I want you to come to Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Acts chapter 4, verse 18 to 20, Acts chapter 4, verse 29 to 31. So the, the antidote to fear of man is what? Fear of God, fear of the Lord. Don't, don't fear the people who could take your physical life away. What's there to fear there? In fact, fear the one who could take not only the physical, but your eternal. Uh, so let's, fear is actually not the issue. It's the direction of our fear. It's that we've let our fear go horizontally when it actually should be going vertically. Our fear should be a fear of the Lord. So do not fear those who can destroy the body. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body. The antidote to fear of our culture, to fear of our neighbour, to fear of our friends is to fear the Lord first. Um, and this is an example of what it looks like to fear the Lord first. Acts chapter 4 verse 18. So the early apostles standing in front of the Sanhedrin, the very men that sentenced and killed Jesus, have been threatened not to speak about Jesus anymore. And I love Peter's response. You guys judge whether it's right for us to be silent. In the sight of God, you guys, you guys figure that one out. As for us, we've got it figured out. We will speak. We cannot help, in fact. We cannot help but speak of what we've seen and heard. That takes great courage, right? Where does that courage come from? Acts chapter 4, 29. So gospel courage is what's required. Uh, and gospel courage comes as a person or a church pleads with God to take notice of the threats, not take them away, just notice them. 
But irrespective of what those threats look like, God, fill us with your spirit, with boldness to continue to declare the good news. And so my, my journey has been in, in learning what it looks like to fear the Lord first. The solution is actually daily repentance. And so what I feel like God has done to me in the last 12 months, he's opened my eyes to see this sin and now I see it everywhere having a conversation with someone and I need to say something hard and I don't want to say it, I'm like, there it is, it's right there. The solution to that is repentance. Say, God, I'm fearing this person's opinion in front of me more than I fear yours. I repent of that sin. I want to turn away. And by the power of your spirit, would you help me to say to them what I need to say because I know you want me to say it for their good, for your glory. Uh, and it's been momentary repentance. I'm not like at the start of the day I repent big just to cover the whole day. In the moment, I'm like, God, I can feel this. I repent of that sin. Strengthen me by your spirit. And my guess is that the, we need to do that journey when it comes to mission and evangelism as well. So we're having conversations with people. You can feel the fear arise in your heart. And in that moment, we repent of the fear we channel it in the right direction. We ask God to give us his spirit to empower us to say what he wants us to say to the person in front of us for their good and for his, his glory. Um, and so, that, I mean, look, I think there's a sermon series coming somewhere in there on uh, fear of man. But my guess is that that's probably the most significant one. And there may be others on that list for you, but if you want to turn over to the back there, you'll see... Um, a, gra a graph for all of you visual learners um, who need a graph um, there's a graph and so I think if we have a church that begins to live some of this stuff out what, what I, this in my head is like an ecosystem of healthy mission uh, all of these blockers all of these blockers that we've listed here if we can start to live a life of gospel clarity and gospel identity and gospel awakening and having a rising gospel confidence and knowing how to speak the gospel, what to say with gospel fluency, with great courage and boldness and spirit-empowered strength that we would communicate the message, the one that we've learnt how to communicate. Um, you kind of need non-Christian non friends. You need to have some gospel connections in there. You need to have some consistency. So in a, in a transient world, to keep turning up and saying the message over and over and over and over again, to be light in your workplace every single day, uh, and not just um, growing by gospel multiplication, and not just saying things that miss the mark entirely. If we can do that, we'd have a really healthy um, culture of mission that happens in our church. And so I don't know if that's helpful for you. Maybe the engineers in the room are silently amening in their hearts because they love to see systems and flows and structures.